0: The concept of an evil corporation, or bad company as it were, is so deeply embedded in the fabric of our contemporary culture, populating novels, TV shows, and of course movies, that it's hard to think of any pop culture representation of a corporate entity that isn't evil. Which is sort of odd when you realize that we pretty much rely on real-world corporations for virtually every aspect of our daily lives. Hell, you're listening to this right now on a device produced by one of these global corporate behemoths. Yet, watch a film featuring a big company and their business model is usually either exploiting people, enslaving people, or just straight-up killing people. So on today's episode, we're gonna dig deep and find out why. So whether your product is more human than human, or you're building better worlds, or even if you're creating something that's, you know, for kids. Always remember, good business is where you find it. And today you'll find it in this episode of Slums of Film History. So join us as we do good work for bad companies.
1: This is Slums of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is normally not discussed
0: in polite company. I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. And each week one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and then schools the other. We discuss everything from murderous gays, to evil sanders to horny nuns. If there's a film subject too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Hey, Slate. Hi, Tom. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. Still in Brooklyn, still recording up here. We're
1: here. We have to keep stopping because car alarms go off and, and my neighbors are banging around. And yeah, it's all types of crazy shit. Just another day in Brooklyn.
0: Yeah, yeah. So good times. So this one's Bad Companies yep. and. I don't remember where I got this idea. I was trying to see if it was a listener suggested episode, Mm -hmm. but I don't think so. I think think either. I think it was just something just kind of hit me in the head, and I decided to go with it. Mm -hmm. Also, I call this "bad companies" pretty much because I use the song "Bad Company" by the band Bad Company, and it just works. Plus, I have a bad Santa's episode, so I figured the bad part. It just Uh it ties together. I have a bad babies episode, so so. it kind of works with our theme. So it is bad companies. But when I say that, I'm also talking about evil corporations. So I'm going to switch those terms back and forth. I'm going to talk about an evil corporation and a bad company because they're the same fucking thing. Got it. Really, they're just, you know, this corporate entity that does terrible shit. Mm -hmm. But to start, let me define both of these things, too. Just even though I'm going to juxtapose them, I want to talk about the differences real quick when I define them. So a company, as I found online, the definition is any business entity that conducts a value exchange of goods or services with customers. The end goal of the company should be to earn a profit. Mm -hmm. So that goes for corporate. Corporations. So corporations are companies, but not all companies are corporations. Here's the difference. Mm -hmm. So a corporation is defined as a company where a corporation is a separate legal entity from its owners. So You can own a company, but a corporation has like a board of directors. I see. And it sells stock. Right, sure. So that's what makes a corporation. That's how you can oust a CEO and oust an owner. Right. Right, separate. And the board, you know, works on behalf of the shareholders. So the companies I talk about are both corporations and companies. They're different ones. But again, I'm going to lump them all together when I talk about bad companies. Great. Anyway, let's talk about a little bit of history, some real life history. So the first company I could find that ever existed, and this is in the Guinness Book of World Records, was in Yamanashi, Japan, and it was a hot spring hotel. Called the Nisyama Onsen Kūnken. I Whoa. fucked this all up. It's a hot spring hotel in Japan. We'll just call it that. We'll just yeah. say that's what it is. Jeez, you think? Yeah, but this was open in the year 705. 705. Yeah, pretty. I've fucking never old. even
1: heard of that year. Like no. I've never even heard anybody say that because nothing ever happened in that year except this place is a first company.
0: Huh. Yeah, it's amazing. And then the world's oldest industrial corporation was actually in Sweden, and it was called the Store Kabergberg Berlakashagen. <laughs> I don't know what the f- I can't read that shit, but it was an industrial corporation in Sweden. Where was that? In Sweden. In Sweden. And it was founded 200 years before Columbus sailed to America. So it's old as fuck.
1: Maybe this episode should just be called Tom Butcher's Every Single Language. That would be
0: every episode that I've ever done. true. Not everyone can be like me and perfectly pronounce everything. Especially French words. You are impeccable when it comes to that. (laughs) We. So the first American company, and you'll be proud of this, was in Virginia. It was the Shirley Plantation. Mm. That's considered the first American company. Uh-huh. And that dates back to 1614. Wow. Yeah. So fun fact. But to get us to where modern companies are, I'm going to start in the 1800s. Because that's when the Industrial Revolution happened, pretty much after the Civil War. There was industry before that, but after the Civil War, that's when a lot of corporations, a lot of companies really started making money. We had more people coming to the States to look for works. So we had a lot of immigration. I even have some stats so between 1870 and 1916 the u.s population rose from 40 million to 100 million which means a shit ton of workers yeah yeah also the railroad system by that time was pretty much reaching everywhere in the states so Mm -hmm. you could ship goods and services and raw materials a lot easier and a lot more efficient so more factories were being built but however this goes without saying that workers were pretty much exploited at that time period so i have an example most workers worked 60 hours a week Mm -hmm. and were getting about 20 cents an hour Uh uh-huh sounds like my job. Of course, working conditions were very unsafe in factories and mines and stuff like that. And that'll play into this, you'll see. But even with early industry and workers being exploited in a lot of accidents and a lot of bad things happening, when Theodore Roosevelt got into office in 1901, he called for a square deal for all Americans. He was the first president to help laborers strike against employers. Hmm. Yeah. So people were trying to fight for the rights of laborers and to have better working conditions and things like that.
1: Baby rape. (laughs)
0: awful awful man all right so for all the listeners out there we record these back to back so we're still in new york as we said and we just finished recording splatter so of course that had some baby rape in it and slate is now feeling like he needs to bomb my episode with baby rape every now and then so be prepared for it but i'm gonna call him out every time he does it baby rape (laughs) you did it again (laughs) that's so awful So the first thing I want to talk about that dealt with these horrible working conditions is The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, the book. I've read that. Everybody's read that. I think everybody in school had to read that. Yeah, well. So The Jungle is a novel that was published in 1906, and it depicts working class poverty and the lack of social supports. And, of course, harsh living conditions, but also harsh working conditions, which is really what people take away from it mostly, I think, when it's described, is that it deals with harsh working conditions in what was the meatpacking industry at the time. Sinclair was considered a muckraker journalist, and he was also a serious socialist. So when his focus of the book, when he wrote it, was to kind of push socialist ideas because he was saying the workers being exploited and socialist ideas will make it better. The takeaway though turned out to be we got to fix the meatpacking industry and industry in general for working conditions.
1: Yeah, weren't people like falling into it and they were like, eh.
0: yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> that's the thing. There's really graphic stuff where rotten like rats meat, and shit rats were falling into it. Humans fell into it and they became like lard and they're just like fuck it. They were like, eh, that's good eating, whatever. But anyway, so he originally published this in serial form in February 1905 in a magazine called Appeal to Reason. It was a socialist newspaper. Anyway, when he finally put it in book format, he met with a lot of resistance. Nobody wanted to publish it. Finally, Doubleday published it mm-hmm. and it blew the fuck up. It was huge. Obviously, it's still around. Again, like I mentioned, he was trying to focus on the socialist piece of it. But what people took away from it was, you know, toxic chemicals, dirt, rat droppings and people in the meat that they were eating is what really freaked people out. All this outrage forced President Roosevelt to look into the allegations in the book. So he first sent the Department of Agriculture to investigate Sinclair's claims. It reported back that the jungle was mostly lies and exaggeration. But he didn't believe that because he felt like that department was probably close to the meat packing industry. Right, right. So he actually sent some undercover folks in there separately mm-hmm. and didn't tell anybody about it. And they reported back the truth. Right. And as a result, Congress passed the Pure Food and Drug Act and the Meat Inspection Act in June 1906. In addition to prohibiting mislabeled and unadulterated food products, these two laws paved the way for all future consumer protection legislation. So there you go. Wow. I also think this is a gateway where the American public started to mistrust industry and realize that a lot of corporate interests might not align with their own. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, a film version of the novel was made in 1914, but it's considered a lost film. And also, fun fact, just about everyone had to read this in school, as you know, we talked about, mm-hmm. in one form or another. I think I still have a copy on my bookshelf, somewhere between freaking and Animal Farm and Catcher in the Rye, you know? Yep. All right, moving on. So I want to jump ahead a little bit and say the first film I want to talk about is Modern Times from 1936. Yeah. It's a Charlie Chaplin film. We actually were talking about that last night.
1: Yeah, you know I'm a huge Charlie Chaplin fan. I am so. too, and
0: it's a wonderful film. And I actually hadn't seen it before. I watched it for this podcast. Mm-hmm. But anyway, for those of you who don't know, the film is a silent comedy written and directed by Charlie Chaplin in which his little tramp character struggles to survive in the modern industrialized world. The film is a comment of the desperate employment and financial conditions of the time because it was the Great Depression era. You know, only a small part of this film actually takes place in a factory, Mm -hmm. but it's a very powerful part. And it's really interesting on a number of levels that I didn't know about before. First of all, it's a harsh place to work. People aren't doing the same thing every day. He's tightening bolts or something, and he has to constantly keep up with doing it. And it's hilarious, too, because he keeps fucking up, and it's really well choreographed, him working on the, the assembly line. Yeah, it's the really editing
1: great. of that movie is just, like, tight as shit. You yeah, know?
0: it's really, really good. But what part I didn't realize happened was there's a scene where the boss of the company turns on a video screen and starts barking orders to the assembly line, mm-hmm. like, very 1984-ish which, of course, is, you know, at least 12 years before that novel was even published. I wonder if Orwell got that got idea, the idea from, from that yeah. movie. It's really great, though, but it kind of shows the overbearing boss, you know, making the workers work even harder, you know, that kind of thing. So it, it yeah. definitely touched on that whole thing where the workers are just another cog in the machine, which is, you know, personified with him going through the gears when he gets sucked into the conveyor belt and then he kind of comes back out. Yeah. And then there's another iconic scene where they're trying to save money and time by figuring out a way for people to keep working on their lunch break so Mm -hmm. they have that feeding machine yeah and they're trying to test it out, and so they make Chaplin do it. And of course, he's getting fed while he's trying it's to. Like work. It's like a robot
1: that's like spooning soup into his mouth, and it works at first. It's then, you know yeah. kind of yeah. whatever, and then of course starts to malfunction. And then it starts to smack him in the face, and you goes know, haywire. Sm- yeah, everything. everything. There's like a napkin thing that's supposed to like
0: wipe his mouth, and it just keeps smacking him in the face. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really great. Yeah, it's really funny. It's really really great. Modern Times is often hailed as one of Chaplin's greatest achievements, and I agree with that. It remains one of his most popular films. It has a hundred percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes, as it should. Oh in the website's critical consensus reads a slapstick skewering of industrialized America. Modern times is as politically incisive as it is laugh out loud hilarious and it does it really takes some jabs at industry but in a really funny way. Yep. Fun fact discounting later parodies and novelty films this was the last major American film to make use of silent film conventions mm-hmm. such as title cards and shit like that. Other fun fact despite it coming out in a time when the Hays Code was starting to be actually enforced because you remember Hays Code was enacted in 1930 but they started enforcing it in 34 this came out in 36 there's a scene in there where Chaplin accidentally takes cocaine when he's in jail because oh, he gets arrested right. he ingests cocaine and then while he's high as fuck he ends up by accident foiling a jailbreak mm-hmm. so it actually shows him committing a heroic act high on coke totally got him past the censors yeah because wow. drug use was a big no-no right, when sure. they started enforcing the Hays code and this got right by and only that but showed how drugs helped him right yeah because usually something.
1: like in Hays code system if you do something bad, you have to be punished for it in some way. So if he did get through a jailbreak on a cocaine high, then he would have to pay the price for it at the end. And he didn't. No, so, he got
0: rewarded for stopping a
1: jailbreak. Yeah, he got that's released crazy. from jail. Yeah, it's His funny. He's got so stupid. Like, I know. I know that it made some really amazing
0: films, but like, you yeah, all fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. All right, I'm skipping ahead here, a little more piece of history just to show where we're going to go. So the decade following industry rebounded in a big way because we started making stuff for World War II. Mm-hmm. It pulled us out of the Great Depression, and then once the war was over, a lot of soldiers coming back, you know, they had GI bills, so they would go to school. then they would get a lot of these jobs, a lot of white-collar jobs in corporations, a lot of blue-collar jobs, but there was a huge post-war working force, right And that was fine for a while. But again, in the '50s, you start seeing a little bit of disillusion with the whole idea of you know company man type of stuff. There's a book that came out by a guy named William White, and it's a book on management called The Organization Man. And it said that while America once valued individualism, he argued the new class of American worker was now committed to groupthink. He was the one that created that term. Group group, groupthink? Groupthink. Uh-huh. He coined that term in a 1952 article for Fortune Magazine. He was saying corporations transform workers into mere cogs in the system, unable to think for themselves or take responsibility for their own actions. Other pieces of literature at that time reflected these anxieties. There was Sloan Wilson's The Man in the Gray Flannel Suit and Richard Yates' Revolutionary Road. Both deal with white-collar workers' dissatisfaction with corporate culture. So it was starting to build. Right. Of course, you know what happens in the following decade in the latter half of the 60s. we talked about it before. Everybody knows that's when we had huge social upheaval. Hippie movement, everything anti-war because when we were in Vietnam. But one thing that kind of stood out to me and I want to talk about is what President Eisenhower talked about in his farewell address in January 17th of 1961 when he called a mutually beneficial relationship between the military and the companies that make weapons for it the military-industrial complex. I know you've heard that before kind of that's a term it's still around but he was the first one to really coin that and that really fits in with the rest of my episode but I wanted to point that out in the councils of government we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence whether sought or unsought by the military-industrial complex the potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist we must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes It was a term that was adopted by the anti-war protesters in Vietnam later in that decade, essentially saying we're at war to keep corporate weapon makers in business. Mm -hmm. And you'll see a lot of that going forward. In my opinion, it's also the bedrock for the majority of the bad companies slash evil corporations in this episode, which is why I mention it. So here we are now in the 70s with all that history behind us. And by now, with the disillusion of the 60s and the Vietnam War still going on at the beginning of the 70s, we start to see a rise in popular dystopian films that have begun to combine the themes of totalitarian governments and soulless corporations profiting from it. The first one I want to talk about, and the first bad company I want to talk about, is the Soylent Corporation from the 1973 film Soylent, Soylent Green. Green. Have you seen this movie? Yeah, I watched it for cannibalism. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, of course you did. So the film stars Charlton Heston. He's a cop who's investigating this murder in this dystopian world where twenty centuries industrialization led to overcrowding pollution global warming due to the greenhouse effect and then by the distant year 2022 40 million people live in new york city alone housing dilapidated homeless people fill the streets many are unemployed those few with jobs only barely scraping by and you know it's a really shitty future world yeah that's why i like it yeah it's great most of the population surviving on rations produced by the soylent corporation which is one corporation that's feeding people their latest product is called soylent green a green wafer advertised to contain high energy plankton by now everybody knows the secret to soylent green i can spoil that. Or you can spoil it. It's people. It's people. It was made out of people. It's actually a pretty decent recycling system. Like,
1: (laughs) I know I'm supposed to be horrified by it, but I was kind of like, well, not a terrible idea. Yeah,
0: I mean, now, and we're cynical enough to think, of course it would be people because corporations do that. But, you know, at the beginning of the decade when this came out, it was a pretty shocking movie. Of course, of course. And just that idea that these corporations' interests aren't necessarily ours and that they'd go so far as to just recycle people into product is very cynical for the Trick and trick yeah. everyone definitely but also remember, this is just a few years after the founding of the Environmental Protection Agency. I talked about that a little bit, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. But I talked about that in Toxic Waste and that toxic waste spilling from all these companies were happening so much that they had to form the EPA, and right. they did. So this came out just soon after that, and this was such a like an alarmist type of movie where the world went to shit. It's a pretty great film. I agree. But the film goes further, too, besides that, and shows the extremes of unchecked capitalism that's left the Earth overpopulated, overheated, underfed. And meanwhile, the Soylent Corporation profits from its access to the resources the rest of the population is denied. Mm-hmm. There's another piece of this too that's interesting. So the and Corporation also has like a euthanasia clinic and there's a scene where this person euthanized themselves and they get to see all these nice pictures and video of a beautiful earth so they pass peacefully. And then of course right after that they're fed into the machine right. to go back to the public. And that part's really interesting to me and I say that because that's the part that really stuck with me as relevant to now. What you have is you have a company that provided a service only to turn you back into their product. hmm Right, right, right. Which is our recent things with Facebook, that's exactly, Uh in a cyber realm, is exactly what happens. You have a service, you're actually their product. Yeah. You know, I work in
1: advertising, so I think all of this is fine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're part of the problem! Slate is people, or I don't know. That's all I got. (laughs) So the next movie I want to talk about and the next evil corporation I want to talk about is a movie that came out the same year called Westworld. And the company's called Delos, D-E-L-O-S, and Mm -hmm. it's a tourism-based company. And the movie was directed by Michael Crichton, novelist Michael Crichton, but the movie stars Yul Brenner. He's like a cyborg. And it's set in the distant future year of 1983, oh, where this high tech, highly realistic adult amusement park features three theme worlds West World, where it's the old American West, Medieval World, where it's Medieval Europe, and then Roman World, where it's ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. The resort's three worlds are populated by these lifelike androids that are practically indistinguishable from human beings, each programmed in character and assigned historical environment. For a 1000 bucks per day, guests can indulge in anything they want to do, any adventure they want to do, and they can kill the robots and can do whatever the fuck they want. Dalos's tagline and its advertising promises, boy, we have a vacation for you. Well, as you know, things go wrong and the robots go on a killing spree. Mm-hmm. Now, Dalos might not be overtly evil. They're, just, they're providing a service where you can indulge in all your whims. But it should be noted that a company that caters to the public's bases, urges, and denies culpability when things go wrong is worth exploring as kind of a twisted version of Disney World. And you see this going forward in another theme park we'll talk about that but again it's noted that the director michael crichton will recycle this going forward into another company that has a very specific theme park where things go wrong okay fun fact westworld was followed by a sequel called future world i didn't see it i think it takes the idea a little further but there is currently a westworld tv show on hbo and it's pretty good yeah i've heard yeah great baby (laughs) rape. damn it All right, so real quick, before we leave the 70s, I'm going to bring up a few instances where a few real-world bad companies pretty much did nothing but expand this whole stereotype in the public consciousness. The first example I want to bring up is the Ford Motor Company, whose Pinto model car had the inconvenient problem of exploding when it was involved in minor rear collisions. Whoops. As early as 1972, reports of explosions and low-speed collisions involving Pintos that were struck from the rear were getting sent to the National Highway Safety and Transportation Administration, and finally they started looking into it. Well, as it turned out, Ford knew this, even as early. 1970 when they were testing the Pinto like 9 out of 11 times when they ran into the rear of it the fucking thing exploded and caught fire and just burned the fucking thing up uh-huh. and they were like, mm-hmm. they, were like mm-hmm. and they, had, they even had the means of preventing it like they had a thing that they could have done to fix it but it was so costly they were just like fuck it. They were like let's just let them blow up Right. and the big thing about this the most damaging when this finally came to court and everything when people were finally suing them was this infamous memo that was found and published by this muckraking reporter for Mother Jones Magazine a guy named Mark Dowie Dowie, Dowie. And it was the detailed cost analysis of corporate liability in the event of having to compensate crash victims. So the experts that were dealing with this estimated the value of human life for around two hundred thousand dollars, while a serious burn injury was worth about sixty-seven thousand dollars. So using the estimate of one hundred eighty deaths and one hundred eighty serious burns, that the cost to redesign and rework the Pino's gas tank would cost close to one hundred thirty-seven million dollars, while possible liability costs worked out to be around forty-nine million. So it was cheaper for them to let people die and right. let their families than it was to fix to re-car. the car. Yeah. Needless to say, when that got found out and the lawsuits got out, shit hit the fan, and they ended up having to recall these things, and it's it put a black eye on Ford as it should. That's fucked up. Yeah, when you're like, hmm, yeah, fuck it, let people die. It's cost effective. And also that scenario and that that equation was also used famously in the movie Fight Club and in the book too but in the movie Fight Club when Ed Norton's on the airplane he's talking to the woman next to him and he's like this is how we estimate car crash oh, liabilities. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah. That's yeah. from this case. Cool. Yeah. I was a recall coordinator. My job was to apply the formula. A new car built by my company leaves
1: somewhere traveling at 60 miles per hour. The rear differential locks uh. up. The car crashes and burns with everyone trapped inside. Now, Should we initiate a recall, take the number of vehicles in the field, A, multiply it by the probable rate of failure, B, then multiply the result by the average out-of-court settlement, C. A times B times C equals X. If X is less than the cost of a recall, we don't do one. Are there a lot of these kinds of accidents? You wouldn't believe. Which car company do you work for?
0: A major one. The second thing I want to talk about real quick is, of course, the Love Canal incident with the Hooker Chemical Company I talked about in Toxic Waste. Oh, yeah, I
1: remember that because Hooker.
0: Hooker Chemical Company had dumped a bunch of toxic waste from the 40s and 50s into this area in Niagara Falls. And it was like this canal that was supposed to be dug and never got completed. So they used it as a dumping ground and then filled it in. Sometime in the 50s, the Hooker Chemical Company, I think, wanted to unload this land because I think it started becoming problematic or whatever. And so they sold it to the city for like a dollar Mm -hmm. who allowed people to build on it. Hooker Chemical Company was, like oh it's fine it's good this is fine because they were trying to unload it cause yeah maybe they was not want it yeah and so when they started building on it and they broke ground it broke all the toxic waste barrels and then it seeped into the soil and then like for decades it poisoned kids and it was fucked up. People had birth defects and cancer, and it was a big clusterfuck. Finally, by 1978, President Jimmy Carter declared the site a federal emergency area. Scientists were brought in. They had to do this massive cleanup. It was fucked up. Yeah.
1: Was that the Meryl Street movie?
0: Oh, you're thinking of Silkwood. That was a different one, but it was a similar theme that there was a chemical company doing horrible shit, and she was going to expose them, and then she suddenly ended up dead right. mysteriously. I mean, the same basic premise. Got it. And that certainly didn't help, you know, corporations to be looked at in a better light. Mm -hmm. So back to movies. My next company I want to talk about is probably my favorite fictional bad company. And that's the weyland Utani Corporation from the Alien franchise. Right, right. This one is probably the first major and still probably best known fictional company as part of the aforementioned military industrial complex. Starting with the original Alien film from 1979, the crew aboard the spaceship Nostromo, as you know, are all private contractors working for this company. They don't name the company by name. They just say we work for the company. Mm-hmm. And they signed on contracts to do this mining job out in space. In fact, the first time we meet them, when they get out of hyperspace, they're discussing their bonuses and they're all like arguing about how much shares they should get. So they're already talking about, you know, company shit. Then, of course, they get the alien distress signal, and the only reason they go down there is because they realize if they don't, they'll forfeit their shares. So they actually do it for economic reasons. Mm-hmm. So they go down, you know, the alien gets on board and everything else, but as you go through it, you realize the company, Whaling Utani Corporation, knew of the danger, but wanted them to go there because they wanted to get this alien species to develop for their bioweapons division. Right, right. You know, and that's the first movie that, especially in a sci-fi setting, where you had a corporate entity basically say human lives are disposable, what counts? is we have to get this bioweapon at all costs who gives a shit who dies that theme carries over in the sequel when they send a military unit down you know the space marines with the cool guns and shit they go down to rescue miners that are now on that planet where the alien is you've seen these movies mm-hmm. and turns out they were sent there to do the same thing and they were all expendable as well i find that interesting because that kind of shows an interesting example of where you've got a private company basically directing a military operation So we'll talk about that more. Next company I want to talk about is the Tyrell Corporation from the original Blade Runner from 1982. Tyrell is a company that produces replicants, which are realistic robot people. And then, of course, the cop Deckard, played by Harrison Ford, has to chase down and quote-unquote retire because they're illegal on Earth because they're known to basically kill people. They're super strong, super smart, and they're a hazard. So they're outlawed on Earth. A few get on Earth, and he has to track them down and kill them. The Tyrell Corporation also, like the Weyland-Yutani Corporation from Alien, fits into this military-industrial complex in that they don't care about the fallout. They don't care about whether or not this is morally right. They're getting money making what is essentially these weapons and they don't care about the fallout from it it's like this is your problem if they come on earth and they kill people you guys clean it up we're going to keep developing this regardless of whether they should do it mm-hmm. and you see this theme going forward of pushing the technology pushing your product regardless of what the fallout for that is and bladorn is a good example of that did you watch this movie I think I made you watch it a long time ago and you, oh. weren't, you didn't dig it
1: yeah it's probably because you made me so I was like I'm not going to like this because Tom is that sounds m- right. making me like this and so I won't Right, this um, right. Yeah, you know how I kind of feel about big, long science fiction movies. I'm not good with fantasy, and I'm not great with science fiction when it's like, when the setup is like four hours long, and it's like just so that one thing can happen, I'm kind of like, I don't care anymore. I like kind of simple plot structures. I mean, this wasn't that complex. Blade Runner true. is super complex. Like know. It's so complex that when the new one came out, I was like, I'm not going to go see that. And you didn't see it? No. It's three
0: hours long. <laughs> I don't crazy. have time. That one I, felt, I don't have time, it, time it. for long. that. I mean, fair enough. Yep. Ain't nobody got time for that. Anyway, so I had to bring up the Tyrell Corporation. Again, you'll see more of this theme, but I wanted to tie it together. Okay, so you've got two major examples of military-industrial complex corporations in movies, and that these unscrupulous companies will do anything to advance their technology and sales. The next one I want to talk about is what I consider the first corporation that just wants, like, mass chaos. Uh-huh. They're the first evil corporation that really stands out as being one of the ones that's just like, we just want to fuck shit up.
1: Uh-huh. This sounds like a company that I'd like to work at.
0: Right, you kind of do. <laughs> yeah. <Ugh. laughs> All right, so this is Spectacular Optical Corporation from the 1983 David Cronenberg movie Videodrome. Oh, yeah, yeah. Max Red is a victim. I woke up with a headache. He has been exposed to Videodrome. I've been hallucinating for a while, ever since. What? Since I first saw Videodrome. Videodrome is
1: seducing Max Wren. And Max Wren can do nothing to stop it. Television can change your mind, Videodrome will change your body. Long
0: live the new flesh. So for those you who don't know, Videodrome is a 1983 Canadian horror film written and directed by David Cronenberg. As I said, it stars James Woods and Debbie Harry, Blondie. And it's set in Toronto because, of course, it's Canadian. And it follows the CEO of the small UHF station who stumbles upon a broadcast signal featuring extreme violence and torture. During the proceedings, James Woods comes across Spectacular Optical Corporation, which is an eyeglass company that acts as a front for a weapons manufacturer. The head of Spectacular Optical, Barry Convex, has been secretly working to get Max, that's James Woods' character, exposed to Videodrome and have him broadcast as as part of a a conspiracy to purge North America. So it'll essentially give you these, it kind of spreads cancer and makes you hallucinate and it's just really fucked up. It's a very bizarre movie. You've seen Videodrome.
1: I have. It was during my pot smoking days, so (laughs) you don't remember. I don't remember a lot from it.
0: It's still just also weird. long.
1: It's it's not that
0: long. I feel like it's really. Well, you were high as fuck. That's why it felt long.
1: Yeah, yeah. I had to take like four breaks to like go eat chips and salsa. I don't remember what I did. It was yeah. a
0: long time ago. Uh, yeah, Okay. So Video drum's weird as fuck. Yeah, yeah. Like James Woods pulls guns out of his chest. It's part of the body horror thing, but he shoots a cancer TV gun in the face. TV in yeah, the yeah, face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Gotta, 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 so gotta, gotta, it's gotta, gotta. very, very surreal. Yeah. It's great. But it's surreal and kinda of gory. A lot of fun. But again, Spectacular Optical Corporation is like the first example I could find where this company just wanted to just destroy shit. Yeah. Just wanted like that. Chaos. Yeah. And they do. My next company also follows along with just destroy the, the fucking world, and that is Silver Shamrock from Halloween three Season of the Witch, same year, nineteen eighty three. Okay. So Halloween 3 was the only non-Michael Myers Halloween movie that came out. What they were trying to do was make an anthology series. So, you know, first Halloween was a big success. So big that they made a direct sequel to that. But what they initially wanted to do with the Halloween name is make a bunch of different stories. Kind of like a Cloverfield type of thing. You I know, remember
1: this. Yeah. I was in a hotel room in Austin on Halloween like two or three years ago. And this came on. And I was like, oh, Halloween 3, which I've never seen before. I'll turn it on. And
0: like 20 minutes into it, I was like... What the fuck is this? It's a weird ass movie. <laughs> I mean, cuz let me try to put the plot out to this. Sure, movie. please try. Okay, okay. So again, it doesn't have any resemblance to the other Halloween movies, but what it's about is this company called Silver Shamrock is a front company that is putting out these masks and are trying to get kids to get them for Halloween and wear them when they do the special broadcast on TV on Halloween night. <laughs> You think it's his harmless mask, but really, they contain a chip from what I guess is from Stonehenge that when it's activated by this certain signal will cause bugs and snakes to come out of the mask yeah. and attack people. What, did you talk, what episode did you talk about I this talked scene? about it in Kid Killing, because there's right, a scene right, where right. a kid wears it, yeah, and they like, test it, and it kills him and his whole family. So, yeah, that's the basic plot. But then this company also has what I guess are automaton robots that do their bidding, too. It, it's a weird fucking movie. Yeah, I didn't hate it. I just I didn't was hate it very confused. It's very by- confusing. I was like,
1: is this a Halloween? It was just
0: weird. But this is another movie where I don't really know what their business model is, because here's this Shamrock Corporation, just like Spectacular Optical, that apparently all they want to do is destroy everything. Right. So I wouldn't want to invest in that stock. Mm, I'm,
1: Slatewood. I could be convinced. Slatewood.
0: Yeah, you would. All right, next company I'm talking about Cyberdyne Systems from the Terminator series. Okay, I had to talk about this because if I didn't, a listener would say, "Why didn't you talk about this?" Right. Sure. So the Terminator movies, everybody knows about them. Arnold Schwarzenegger is sent back to kill Sarah Connor so that John Connor can't be born to to fight the machines in the future. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really make sense if you scrutinize it too much. No,
1: I remember that I was like trying to put together like the whole plot of all the Terminator movies, right. and it just all kind of fell apart.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. So Cyberdyne Systems is this tech company, I guess, that developed what is known as Skynet, which is this huge artificial intelligence system that the government ends up buying and using to control other nuclear satellites, which it becomes self-aware it's in 1997. That's the plot of the movie. And then, of course, decides humans need to be wiped out, and then it shoots at the Russians. The Russians shoot back, and there's world domination. And then Cyber9 Systems ends up making Terminators, and it goes from there. So it's this corporation that's evil and ends up destroying humanity. It's expanded upon in the sequel where it turns out that they got that technology from the first Terminator, so it's kind of like a circular logic, like they Pull the the CPU and like the robotic arm that was left over after the Terminator was destroyed in the first movie, and they base all their technology off of that. Which is how they got all technological. So it's sort of like cyclical and weird time travel sense. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so Cyberdyne Systems, while not overtly evil necessarily, is one of those companies that just develop technology whether they should or not. Right. You know, which you'll see a theme going forward. Like you have the capability to do something, but is it morally right to do so? And actually, especially with the AI stuff, it's kind of prescient because now that seems to be an issue where everyone's like, should we develop AI? Everyone's Are we worried about talking AI? About People don't really talk about it as much of like, what if it takes
1: over, but they're kind of like, we need a plan for this, and no one's got a plan
0: for it. Yeah. So, do I really think we're that close? Eh, Maybe not, but at the same time, you need to think ahead, Yeah. and no one seems to be doing that. They seem to be pushed to technology, pushed to tech, just like fucking driving cars. Self-driving cars, yeah. Right. Push to technology, we'll deal with it culturally afterward. The Terminator sort of addressed that, Mm -hmm. you know, 30 years ago. All right, my next company, also from the 80s, and I had to talk about this one. This is my favorite. Omni Consumer Products from... Can you guess? No. Robocop, 1987. For, yeah, I was wondering if that was... Because we talk about Robocop
1: all the time, and I was wondering if that was your inspiration behind... Yes. yeah this yeah. was actually...
0: Yes, this I was figured, my inspiration yeah. for this. So I um, didn't remember
1: the name of it, but
0: yeah. Yeah, Omni Consumer Products. So that's the company that made Robocop, made Ed 209, which is the robot that malfunctioned in the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. which is a great scene. But I like the take in corporate culture in this movie because it's so cutthroat. It's such a satire... It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. Let me talk about the first scene. Well, first of all, let me back up and say, I'm not going to explain too much Robocop. Robocop is Detroit of the future. It's run down. It's a bankrupt city. This corporation called Consumer Products wants to basically raise Detroit, turn it into a new place called Delta City, where they basically run everything, privatized police force, privatized everything. You basically are a citizen of OCP Delta City, which we'll talk about privatization in a minute. That's also scarily prescient. Yeah. <laughs> what happens is in the opening scene, this one guy named Dick Jones, who's a high level executive executive is trying to push yeah dick sorry that i ruined that go ahead you ruin it Yeah, yeah you
1: ruin everything yeah baby rape
0: are you done doing that So Dick Jones is a high-level executive, and he's trying to push this program called the Ed 209 Project. And it's this big hulking robot that he hopes to put on the streets of Detroit, you know, as a law enforcement robot, and then eventually push it to the military. So they test it out in this demo, and they have it in the office, and they get some low-level guy to point a gun at it. And, of course, it malfunctions and basically brutally fucking kills a guy right there in the boardroom. It's like my favorite scene in a movie, like, of all time. And it's really darkly funny. The enforcement droid, series 209 is a self-sufficient law enforcement
1: robot. 209 is currently programmed for urban pacification, but that is only the beginning. After a successful tour of duty in old Detroit, we can expect 209 to become the hot military product for the next decade. Mr. Kenny. Yes, sir. Would you come up and give us a hand,
0: please? Yes, sir. Mr. Kenny is going to help us simulate a typical arrest and disarming procedure. Mr. Kenny, use your gun in a threatening manner. Point it at Ed 209. Yes, sir.
1: Please put down your weapon. You have 20 seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. You now have 15 seconds to comply. You are in direct violation of title Code 113, Section 9. You now have 5 seconds to comply. Four, three, two, one. kind of funny it's very similar to the feeding scene in modern times you know of where they're kind of like demoing this product of how it's like supposed to feed him and then everything and starts and functions. he starts getting slapped in the face by the
0: napkin machine or whatever and this is the very like x-rated violent version of that it's good you brought that up as a parallel because when the feeding machine fails and when ed I fails they're not concerned about the employee they're disappointed that the product right they're work.
1: like ah, damn it like now we have to go back to the drawing board and figure out how to make this work pretty and, much yeah
0: because yeah. the ceo of the company is Like I'm very disappointed with you, Dick. Yeah, there's a dead dude on their little display model, shot to pieces. And they're like, "You really fucked up this time." And not only that, but another mid-level executive uses that as a springboard to push the RoboCop project. So this guy is not even cold yet, and he's like, "Well, I have a program, sir, that can avoid this whole thing." It's the RoboCop project. So it's just that whole satire of cutthroat corporate life. I thought was great, and it was also a great parallel to the '80s because if you remember, the same year, the movie Wall Street came out with Michael Douglas. Yeah. And that was that whole "greed is good" era, and that t- was a serious take on you know Wall Street corruption and corporate corruption. And RoboCop just satirized the shit out of it, right? And I love that too because they even take it to the point of you know hollow corporate logos. Their motto is "Good business is where you find it." That means nothing, right? That doesn't mean anything. It's just a hollow platitude. But it's not so dissimilar to something like "Think Different," right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And so I, I really love what RoboCop does, and it, and it hasn't aged a day. I mean, it's uh, it's eighties ish and its set design. Yeah. Yeah, but that movie holds up very well. Right. Very, well. All across the board, and especially in its corporate area. And I don't think there's been a movie that's been able to satirize that as well, the corporate piece of it, Mm -hmm. as RoboCop has.
1: I also really liked RoboCop 2. I enjoyed RoboCop 2. It's not a great movie, but it's it's a pleasant watch.
0: I'm glad you brought that up, because RoboCop 2 also has a major plot point where Detroit is bankrupt. They've defaulted on their loans. Mm -hmm. And of course, OCP is trying to pick those loans up and privatize everything still. Well, that happened. In real life in 2013, where Detroit essentially filed for bankruptcy because of unfunded liabilities that were around $18 billion worth. The city owed money to over 100,000 creditors whoops another thing happened in 2013 too to make it even more like Robocop is that Detroit automakers and five other corporations promised eight million dollars to the city including hundred new patrol cars they donated patrol cars so Ford donated cars to the city mm-hmm. so Detroit has corporate sponsorship if you see some of these right, police sure. cars they say sponsor by Ford you know that's uh, Robocop see. is fine yeah yeah totally when they first announced this a few months ago did you think it would actually happen no and no Not in Detroit. I mean, they always announcing something and they never come to pass.
1: But this is turning out to be a promise kept. It was the end of March when local businesses and Mayor Dave Bing went public with the plan to get more ambulances and police cruisers on the streets of Detroit. Private companies donated more than eight million dollars to make it happen. Problems have plagued the city's aging fleet, and residents have suffered because of it.
0: Detroit has gotten more and more like Robocop every day. And actually, mm-hmm. some of the other companies that helped fund this and donated stuff was Quicken Loans, you know, the Pinsky Foundation, Platinum Equity, a lot of like banks and loan places were like, here's oh, some free stuff here's some corporate sponsorship for we you.
1: come up with these ideas at my agency like every single day wow. of how to basically like take over the world <laughs> <laughs> it's you're not up. shocking me at all this know, is I know, what i, I do for a living yeah
0: and then just to add to that my undergrad degree is in criminal justice and one of the biggest things that they were teaching was privatized prisons mm-hmm. which is that's crazy uh-huh it's well. prison for profit i mean it's a thing uh-huh but prison for profit Having a privatized police force is not too far from that. Sure. So it's weird how real life echoes mm-hmm. a lot of stuff and especially something like RoboCop. Sure. If our president had his way, I think that every single thing <laughs> in the world would be privatized. That's that's probably true. So speaking of our president, that brings me to my next corporation. Okay. And that would be Clamp Enterprises from Gremlins 2, the new patch from 1990. <laughs> I just watched this. Did you? It's terrible. I mean, I thought it was terrible too. Even the people love this movie.
1: It's so weird though. I mean, because Gremlins 1 weird. is a fantastic movie. Oh, Any yeah. way you slice it, it's just a wonderful movie. I
0: thought Gremlins 2 was a piece of trash. I didn't love it. I liked it slightly better when I saw it again. I, I watched it again for this. Mm-hmm. But I don't like it nearly as much as the first one, although it has gained a cult status for some reason. Yeah, I mean, I get that.
1: It's just terrible.
0: Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Clamp Enterprises is a clear spoof of Trump Enterprises. Right. And its owner in the movie is Daniel Clamp, who's essentially a Donald Trump figure. Although there's a little bit of Ted Turner thrown in there, but essentially he owns all this real estate. He's a real estate mogul. He has this huge skyscraper in New York that does everything. You can live there. You can shop there. It's got all types of different departments, a, a TV station, which is where the Ted Turner parody comes in but it's also got this weird genetics lab where they just test on all types of shit yeah so in the movie what happens is Billy from the first movie and I guess his girlfriend Phoebe Cates works in this building and somehow gizmo comes back it doesn't make it doesn't make any any sense but then all these gremlins are running loose in the building and it just gets nuttier and nuttier by there. But hey, I want to back up. And I want to talk about Daniel Clamp, the the whole reason I brought this up. So the character of Daniel Clamp, he's sort of the villain, but kind of a goofy villain. But the whole way that he came about and why they even made this character is because since Joe Dante knew he wanted this movie to take place in a building, he was trying to think of, okay, I need a real estate mogul. I need somebody who's you know a rich person as the villain, but also kind of goofy and sort of dorky. And of course, since this is the late 80s, the first person to come to mind was, of course, Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And actually, actor John Glover, who played the Daniel Clamp character, did a pretty good job with him and in a weird way made him pretty likable too. Probably a little more likable than his real world counterpart. Right. But let me jump back in real quick and talk about Clamp Enterprises because yes, it was a big ass building and they had all different types of industry in there. Like I said, they had a TV station and whatnot, but they also had a genetics lab, as I mentioned before. And that's the part I think that edges them into an evil corporation because as soon as Gizmos found out, the scientists get them and they start fucking with the offspring of Gizmo and turn them into all these weird mutants. It's just a fucking weird ass movie. Yeah. Anyway, I had to bring that up because it was very timely. It certainly is. But yeah, I agree with you. I don't love that movie, but some people fucking love the shit out of it. So listeners, if you love it, convince me why it's awesome.
1: You're wrong, all of you. You're wrong. It's terrible. <laughs> okay,
0: fair enough. <laughs> I don't care about Gremlins too. I just watched it and I was just like, that was not good. It was not yeah. good. <laughs> all right. The so next one I want to talk about is Hudsucker Industries from the movie Hudsucker Proxy from yep. 1994. You've it? seen this movie. Oh, sure. yeah. So it was a comedy directed by the Cohen Brothers. It stars Tim Robbins, and he plays this naive business school graduate who gets installed as the president of Hudsucker Industries after its previous owner commits suicide jumps out the window. And Paul Newman plays like a company director who is like, oh shit, we need to drive down the stock prices because it was about to go public. So they wanted to put a dumbass as president at the company so that the stock prices would drop and then all the executive board can buy it up. Right. Which there's an example of an evil corporation. They're a corporation because they have mm-hmm. stockholders and they have a board of directors. Full circle full circle. And it's very much like the producers. Like it's like the producers in corporate world where they right. they make more money off of a failure than they do of a success. Yeah. But what happened is, you know, Tim Robbins has this circle he keeps trying to sell people. It's basically a hula hoop. And he develops a hula hoop and it becomes a big success, driving stock prices up and ruining everybody's chances and things go crazy from there. It's about mid-tier Cohen brothers, but yep. it's their one true corporate bad guy movie. It's a memorable movie. It's, a movie. it's, it's not their best, movie. but
1: it's certainly not, you know, every now and then they'll put out something that's kind of forget- Edible, and yeah. that one's not one of them. That's a memorable Coen Brothers yeah, movie.
0: Yeah, it's a memorable mid-tier Coen Brothers. But, you know, I want to caveat that and say the corporation isn't necessarily evil, but the board of directors is kind of evil because sure. they're trying to drive down stock prices. But I had to mention it, and I, I love that movie. I think it's great, but not their best. Two more films. The next one I want to talk about is Zorg Enterprises from the 1997 movie Fifth Element. Mm-hmm. This huge Ooh, corporation. What a stinker that one was. I enjoyed you it. You liked Fifth Element? I liked it for was, what it was. Was that Mila Jovovich? Yeah, and Bruce I, Willis. Bruce Willis. And Gary oldman played the head of the Zorg Industries. I saw famous. this in the theater when it came out.
1: I did too. Yeah
0: either way Gary Oldman plays John Baptiste Zorg the head of Zorg Enterprises that name is f- terrible Jean Baptiste Zorg I know it's awful yeah but that's just one of the many awful and terrible things about the movie but he sells weapons to the military or whatever and it's funny because he owns all these other like sub-corporations one of which employed Bruce Willis and of course when they fired a bunch of people he got fired from the cab company because right. he worked for Zorg but I bring this up only because you know as I mentioned other corporations from Halloween 3 and from Videodrome this corporation exists just to destroy the world like he's literally working with a planet that's the embodiment of evil to come and destroy the world because he thinks that's going to be good for business mm-hmm. His org enterprise wants yeah. to destroy the world it doesn't make any sense but i had to bring him up for that fact that that kind of fits that whole thing where this corporate entity is so bad they want to help destroy humanity which doesn't make sense and then my last major film i want to talk about is the by and large company from the 2008 pixar film wally I mean, I love Wally. That's probably one of my favorite movies of theirs. I also love Wally.
1: Yeah, it's great. You know how I'm always like, I don't want to watch a kid's movie. I don't want to watch the G rated version of anything. Right. And I watched Wally and I was like,
0: I enjoyed Well Wally's that. great. Yeah. yeah. I love Wally. But anyway, it follows this trash compactor robot who's stuck on a totally devastated Earth that's full of trash and pollution. And essentially by that time, Earth is run by this corporation called By and Large. It's <laughs> essentially a Costco-esque type of company, right. and they just polluted the planet so bad that they took all the humans, stuck them on a spaceship, which is essentially one big tourist ship, and sent them out into space while these robots are supposed to clean up Earth. It was supposed to last a few years, it lasted like 600 years, and they still barely cleaned up anything.
1: And then everybody got really fat and they don't do anything anymore. They just like ride around on little like motor scooters and just watch screens all day.
0: Yeah, that's one of the movies that I was like, eh, it's probably going to happen. Well, that's the thing. It's a very cute little romance but really, this is Pixar's darkest movie. Well, just on the level of the corporate piece of it, essentially it's saying in the future, corporations are going to turn you into helpless children that cater to your every needs. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happens in WALL-E. And regardless of the devastation left behind, where they totally destroy Earth, people aren't going to care because they're too busy being catered to all their whims. Right, And it's fucked up. When I saw that, I was like, uh-oh, that's our future, probably. Yeah. All these science fiction films really do a good job of showing different evil corporations and what happens when people rely on these evil corporations. So I, I thought, that's why I had to talk about them. But I wanted to quickly breeze through a couple of films that actually dealt with real problems. Some are fictionalized, some are actually a real issue that happened with a real corporation. So I wanted to just touch on some of the films, because it's not just science fiction films that talk about evil corporations there's actually a bunch that talked about real ones sure I'm just going to go through them real quick so there's a movie from 1991 called Class Action that starred Gene Hackman he plays an attorney who's suing an auto company that had a defect in a car and it injured a client so it's very much based on the Ford Pinto scandal I talked about there's one called The Insider from 1999 do you remember this? it was I about do. the tobacco industry yeah it was uh what's his name? Russell Crowe yeah Russell Crowe <laughs> yeah. nominated for a bunch of um, yeah. Oscars yeah. yeah he played tobacco industry whistleblower Jeffrey Wigand and so yeah it's based on that it's a true story Aaron Brockovich from 2000, I had to mention that because he would never forgive yeah. me if I didn't. And of course, that stars Julia Roberts, and she's bringing up a class action lawsuit against a toxic waste company that poisoned the water. It's, so it's a good movie. Good.
1: I turned into such a like American middle aged woman when I saw that. I was just like, <laughs> "Go, Aaron Brockovich! <laughs> Julia Roberts is America's
0: sweetheart. You yeah, know, sorry. I know it's funny. I lo- still love it. And then of course, Wolf of Wall Street, directed by Martin Scorsese, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, and that's based on the 2007 memoir of Jordan Belfort, same name. They were a really corrupt New York-based brokerage firm and all the corrupt shit they did. And, of course, he got arrested by the FBI years later. Kind of. Sort of, (laughs) yeah. And then I also want to kind of touch on some actual documentaries that dealt with this, too. So Mm -hmm. it's not just fictionalized films. There's documentaries. One called Food Incorporated from 2008. Do you remember this? Yep it's fucked up
1: yeah well you know i'm a vegetarian which means i'm automatically better than everybody else in the world <laughs> course, um, and yeah. so when i saw that i was kind of like that's what i've been trying <laughs> to preach to everyone with my white privilege
0: yeah it really kind of brings it back around to the jungle in a lot of ways yeah, yeah. things really haven't changed a hell of a lot nope it's fucked up yeah i the, mean that was the whole thing about like fast food
1: nation at the time right, too, yeah, yeah which is just like a, the it, meat
0: industry is just it's, very it's disgusting gross. Yeah. it's very gross enron the smartest guys in the room from 2005 which that whole enron scandal where people lost their savings. Yeah. They lost everything from this corrupt freaking brokerage firm and of course people went to jail as they should have but yeah. Enron was a fucked up thing. So again, there's so many real life examples of these evil corporations and the terrible things that they do. It's never going to go away. These are perfect yeah. bad guys for movies. You know, our allegiances shift and our friendships shift with different countries so, you know, Chinese bad guys probably aren't a good villain in a film when you're trying to open up to the Chinese market. Right. But some evil corporations are perfect. Yeah, it totally makes sense. But the ironic part about that is that you know all these Hollywood films that deal with evil corporations, there's really six mega corporations that control 90% of media. Mm-hmm. And I have them here, which is it's amazing. Because I was looking it up, I was like, you know, Hollywood talks a lot of shit, but they're all part of evil yeah, fucking corporations. Owned. They're all owned by the same people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty fucked up. I had a chart I wanted to show you because it's amazing how all this media that's under these six different corporations. I am going to name the corporations just to give you an idea, but the movie studios, they yeah, own... You're muck-wrecking. I I am. Look at me. Such a fucking rebel. But National Amusements, they own Paramount and MTV Films. Mm -hmm. Time Warner owns Warner Brothers and New Line Cinema. Comcast owns Universal, DreamWorks, and Focus Features. News Corp owns 20th Century Fox. Well, most of it, I think they sold a lot of that to Disney. We'll talk about that in a second. Regency and Sony owns Sony Pictures and TriStar, and then Disney owns like every fucking thing. Every else. other thing. Yeah. Of all the evil corporations that are like mega corporations, I feel like Disney's pulling ahead. Yeah, they usually do. <laughs> They're kind of the worst. Yeah, yeah, because they really like are just hoarding everything now. It's yeah. fucked up. So Hollywood's no better, really. No, no, no. And but they just act like they are. They just yeah. act like they They're are. Like, They're so like. So me very, being a vegetarian. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, again, I'm trying to wrap this up and just say, this topic interested me because, you know, you see enough movies and you really you realize just how many films like to focus on the evil corporations. Now, it's hard not to deny that it's an easy target because there's so many real-life examples to go yeah, off yeah. of. And tying it back to the beginning, we've had a dubious relationship with industry from the get-go. It certainly helped America build to what it was, but a lot of it was built on mistreatment of, of workers.
1: Right, sure. Well, this is not something that like Hollywood invented. You know, a lot of the times we talk about things and it's kind of like the splatter film for example is something. Hollywood invented the splatter film. Hollywood did not invent bad corporations. They kind of took what was happening and then turned it into fictionalized and sometimes unfictionalized versions of that.
0: Certainly. And I think the dystopian part of it's interesting too because you've got the communist scare from the 50s mixed in with sort of the military industrial complex and how cozy corporations and the government get. Mm -hmm. A lot of these companies have political Poll, which has been a big problem. Yeah, yeah. You know, we talk about that. They give a lot of money to politicians. That's no surprise that these corporations are in bed with a lot of these high profile politicians. Same time, you know, we worry about the reach of government and, okay, if government has a lot of reach, then these corporations certainly would have a lot of reach. And so it makes great fodder for sci-fi films, but it's eerily real, too. Yeah. And so I think that's not going to go away. No. And then when you have your media companies that are part of these big corporations, it's all just one big fucking... That's my It's crazy. Sorry, Sorry, everyone. But I love these movies that deal with this, especially when they do it right. Like, again, Robocop's probably my favorite example on here. Yeah. But a lot of these other movies, they do a good job, and some are more realistic than others, but it stays around for a reason, because it's eerily real. Yeah, sure. Before I close this out completely, I just want to say... There's a couple of things I left out on here. People will probably bring up, and I'm just going to just say, here's why I left these out. So, I left out Spectre, which is the Special Executive for Counterintelligence, Terrorism, Revenge, and Extortion. Is that the new James Bond movie? Well, it's the name of the new James Bond movie, but it was the evil organization that was in a lot of the older James Bond movies, too. And I left them out because they're more of like a mafia terrorist organization than they are an actual company. I think there's a corporate piece to it, but I was like, fuck that. I'm not going to talk about the James Bond shit. I also left out International Genetics and Corporate also known as Ingen from the Jurassic Park series, mm-hmm. so that was the Michael Crichton property I talked about. He directed Westworld, but he recycled that and wrote Jurassic oh, Park. I see. Uh-huh. And of course, that was directed by Steven Spielberg. I don't feel that they were that evil. They developed a way to bring back dinosaurs and deal with genetics. I think their executives decided to exploit it, but I think at least John Hammond, who plays the owner of Ingen, was like, "I think this is a great thing," and you know, he was trying to be positive about yeah, it. Sure, but I think he was undercut by the greedy executives who just decided to exploit it so i think his intent wasn't evil but it it went bad right you know so I decided to leave them out. Plus, everybody knows about InGen, and I just wanted to talk about other stuff. I left out Umbrella Corporation. That's from Resident Evil. You know, it's a cosmetics company that ended up putting out this T-virus that killed everybody in Raccoon City. Did you ever see any of the (laughs) Resident Evil? They're not very good. Mila Jovovich, speaking of her in Fifth Element, she was the star of this show. But I left that out because I was like, it it doesn't do anything new uh, with the military-industrial complex thing that destroys the world. We've seen that in other movies. Multinational United, that's from District 9. That's a good movie. That's a good movie. movie. And I Essentially, that's a privatized police force company that's basically trying to reverse engineer this alien technology, and they're the bad guys. You know, they're an evil corporation that's suppressing these aliens in a apartheid-like story. Yeah. Movie was fresh. It was good. It was good at the time, but I left them out because again, they didn't do anything new under the sun. So that's what I got. That's bad companies. What oh, do you think?
1: Good. It was a great episode. You obviously did a lot, a lot of research, which is great. Yeah. I really enjoyed this one. I didn't know a lot. I work at a bad company. I work at a <laughs> evil industry. So, And I know that and I don't care. All, all of you can fuck yourselves. Right. But it, it was super pertinent to me too, just because I think about this a lot. And then I also like go to work and I'm like, okay, time to ruin everybody's lives with advertising. Right. So I uh, really liked it because it reminded me of how horrible of a person I am.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm the other side of the coin i work for the government so uh-huh. we're, i'm just as bad on my side yeah so we're terrible people yeah but that's all i got yeah
1: well thanks for listening to us <laughs> two terrible people and the horrible things we're doing to ruin your lives everyone yep buy our products
0: yep thanks for listening to slums of film history you can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com, where you can find links to some of the movies we talked about today along with pictures videos and additional resources as well as sunday slum day our weekly recommendation for the best and sometimes worse films every
1: sunday night If you want to keep up with us, we're on Facebook and Twitter where we share out a lot of additional content. And as always, please fact check us and let us know if we left anything out. We're not professionals, just two friends that love gross movies.
0: Baby (laughs) rape. Oh, you didn't do it. Too late now. It's too late. Okay. Okay. But anyway, you're right. Oh, fuck.